um, had the privilege of meeting some of your hardworking members um, at this church about a year ago as they were gathering some stuff from VBS. Uh, we had shared the same VBS and shared some of the stuff. And I'm, I, I just want to tell you, man, I love um, that I was able to meet them because they were just hard workers. They drove for hours for your kids and the kids of the community. And, um, and you know, I've, I've known Pastor Dave for a while, David, Pastor Osagera, for a while, and, um, and he is just an amazing person and is always encouraging me. And, and now I get to know his wife, Kim, who's wonderful. And every time I go by the conference office, I make sure to stop by her office, too. She and he are both a huge encouragement. Um, so you guys are really lucky. Um, this morning, the title of my sermon is called, Mary Had a Little Lamb. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our God and our Father, we just thank you. We thank you for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you are going to do in our lives. God, we ask forgiveness for the moments in which we have left ask that you would continue to seek us out. In your name we pray. When I was a kid, I remember singing that song, Mary had a little lamb. And, and as I was reading in the book of John, because I've been studying the book of John, uh, that song came to my mind, and I thought, isn't that crazy that even in a child's lullaby, the gospel story is told. But then as I thought a little bit further, I thought, well, maybe that's just the first half of the story, the first part of the story, is that Mary had this lamb and it was perfect. It says that its fleece was white as snow. And everywhere that Mary went, that lamb was sure to go. Until the lamb went to church. And then things change. The first instance that we have, the first um, in, uh, peak of Jesus' life that we have is when he enters the synagogue as a boy. His first time in Jerusalem. His parents take him, and, and assuming they're with the family that has gone with, um, with all of them, they travel together, they leave, and go on a day's journey. But as they turn around and look for Jesus, because it's time for him to stop playing and come in and eat, they can't find him anywhere. And they go back to Jerusalem that is filled with hundreds of people. Um, I had the opportunity to go into Jerusalem, and there was this one area where we had to go walking like this, and we had to cover our pockets because it was a pickpocket's heaven to have people that close. Because you have people bumping into you, and you're walking through a corridor, and you're inching like you're in traffic on the 91 freeway. It was ridiculous. And I couldn't even imagine losing a 12-year-old boy in the midst of all of that havoc. And that's where Jesus was, in Jerusalem alone. And finally, after three days, the Bible says, they find him in the synagogue teaching the pastors. 
asking them questions because that's how they taught. When the Bible said that they was ask, Jesus was asking them questions, they didn't give statements, they asked questions. And what does that say about God? And what does that mean? And how does that affect our lives? And Jesus was asking them questions, and they were amazed at how much he knew about the Scriptures. I can only imagine when Mary is older, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 12, verse 48, that Mary and some of her, some of, some of Jesus' brothers were coming and looking for Jesus. And somebody comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are looking for you. And Jesus says to the entire crowd, who are my mother, who is my mother, and who are my brothers? They are those that do the will of God. That is my mother. Those are my brothers. I can't imagine the, the, the embarrassment that Mary must have felt. And, and, and I remember when my mother would get mad at me, she would say, Josie, I carried you for nine months in my belly. Three days of labor, you will do what I tell you. And here Jesus is in his late 20s, early, in, his, in his 30s, his early 30s, in front of a crowd of people saying, you're only my family if you do the will of God. So I'm not going. The book of John records it like this. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning, in the very beginning, was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing, and without him, was not anything made that was made. A little confusing. And without him was not anything made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. And I thought by, by reading this, I thought, wow, that's exactly how Jesus as a baby was born. He wasn't only... He wasn't born of blood in the sense that we uh, scientifically understand the conception time. And he wasn't 
born of a desire of flesh. Mary didn't desire to have a child at the time when she was um, impregnated with Jesus, but it was a will of God where the Holy Spirit decided this is the person, this is the time, and this is how it will occur. And finally, Jesus begins the ministry that he was brought here to do. And this man, John, that was meant to bear witness to him, calls out, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And the thing is, is some of us forget that life in the time of Jesus wasn't life like we live it now. There was no text messages, God forbid, that we ever go back to that time. There was no internet. It, was, it wasn't like rustic backpacking but maybe something like that in terms of communication. It took you forever to get from, from my house, where it took me about 18 minutes. It would probably take a couple days' journey back in the time of Jesus. And, and, and things were different. It's in, in the book of, in the book of, uh, of, of, of Exodus, we learn that God's desire was always to dwell with his people. And so what he does is, is, is he gives Moses, this leader of these people, that he's just taken out of slavery, and he says, okay, I want to be with you guys, and I want to be with you always, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to set up a temple, and we're going to set up a way of worship, and, and then there's this place called the Most Holy Place, and that's where I will dwell with you. And you know what? Put me right in the middle so that everybody knows that I'm there. And then, and then there's this lamb. And this lamb, once a year, the male representative of your family, the male head of your family, will bring an unblemished lamb with their own hands. And their, they'll hold the lamb, slit its throat, and the blood that comes from that lamb will be spread on the altar. And the lamb will be thrown on the altar. And, and that lamb will be the sacrifice for your sinful life. And every year, it would be a financial burden for some. And every year, it would be an emotional torture. Because those of us who have pets and love our pets come to realize that pets are a part of the family. My dog's name was Mickey. And I got him when I was in elementary still. When I was at Campus Hill years ago, five or six years ago, I was at Campus Hill and my dog died. I had since graduated from college. And I remember that it was on a Wednesday because I couldn't make it to prayer meeting. And my senior pastor came running out after I told her, I can't make it today. And I went home crying that day. And she came home, and, 
or she came out of prayer meeting and came running to me thinking that my mother had been killed in a car accident. But it was my dog. And you know what? Years later, sometimes my mom and sister and I will still talk about him. Because he just meant that much to us. It's an animal, you know? But you build these bonds and relationships. And somehow, you know, pup, do- I, I'm a dog lover, so I'm sorry if you're a cat lover. But I'm a dog lover. And, and they're just cuter when they're babies. Like, you protect them more. You want to hold them more. You let them get away with so much more than you would let their parents get away with. And in order for people to understand what God was going to do, God let them experience just a little bit of what he was going to do. And he took, he had them take this perfect lamb. And he had them with their own hands kill their lamb because they weren't They weren't perfect. But that was even instituted way, way, way before the book of Exodus in the sanctuary. There was an understanding that because of, 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 that there was an understanding that as a part of worship to God, that we are to take a lamb and sacrifice it. In Genesis chapter 22, there's a story of a man named Abraham and his son Isaac. And one day God says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to walk up this mountain, and I want you to sacrifice your son. Abraham being a godly man and trusting that God desires what is best for him, did that which was the most painful because this was no longer a pet. This was my son, born to me in an old age. God, he's a miracle. But because you say so, I will take him. And they go up the mountain. And his son notices that they don't have a sacrifice. He says in chapter five, or in verse 5 of chapter 2, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again to his servants. And on their way up, Isaac says to Abraham, My father, and Abraham responds, Here I am, my son. Behold, the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And God said, and Abraham said, God will provide for himself. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering of my son. So they went, both of them, together. And it says, Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And oftentimes when we read this, we see a picture of Abraham with the knife up here, but if we go according 
to the way this was done in the sanctuary and to the way that God had told him Abraham really took a knife and put it at his son's throat. And at that moment, he hears a voice saying, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he said. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything for him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then when Abraham lifted his eyes, he says, and behold, behind him was a ram, a full-grown male lamb caught in the thickets. And that full-grown male lamb took the place of Isaac. And so we go back to the book of John. And we hear John the Baptist crying out, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And again, he says, Behold, the next day, the Lamb of God. And it says that two disciples heard them say this, and they followed My mom was telling me about her experience growing up as a kid and how she had her own lamb. And the lambs, she said, she explained to me that sheep are so gentle and sheep are the best pets to have. They will never be aggressive. You pet them and they put their head on your shoulder. She says, they're not like dogs. She says, they won't come to you and then leave. She says, they just love you. They love it when you're there. And, I, and, and they said, and they knew my voice. When I came, they knew it was me. And so she was telling me about, about this lamb. And, and, and as I was doing some research on, on what are the habits of lambs and sheep and rams, and it says, and um, I remember reading that, that sheep are so naive that they start following someone for no apparent reason. They start following each other. When one starts walking, they notice. And then they start walking to, and, and, and they'll do this even to their own demise. If one lamb start, or if one sheep starts running, the other sheep will follow, even if that sheep jumps off a cliff and dies. They're so naive. They're, they, they just trust each other so much. And lambs and sheep, they're just known to be followers. They're, there's only one instance in Iceland somewhere where there's something called a leadership where at one point in time when uh, when situations get so difficult that even the shepherd cannot get back home these leadership will come in the front and guide the entire flock and their shepherd home to safety but for the most part sheep are followed But yet Jesus, who we follow, is called the Lamb of God. And so who does he follow? Who does he belong to? And why should we follow him? 
And when Jesus comes, he changes everything that we know about church. He went up to the pastors and said, you're wrong. You're all about rules and regulations. You're all about who's doing this right, who's dressing right, who's not. You're worried about how many steps somebody should take on the Sabbath. Let them, let them have fun. Let them enjoy God. Let them be in fellowship with each other because the Sabbath is here so that people can know God. People weren't put on this earth so that the Sabbath is some sort of yoke that they carry on their neck grudgingly. Oh, man. And you've made it that, he says to them. And he over and over again tells them, they've got it wrong. They're reading the, the scriptures, but they've got it, they've got it wrong the whole reason God gives us this Bible is not to tell us that other people aren't good enough, but to tell us that despite the fact that we are who we are, He has this grace that covers us. Jesus is again called a lamb. In the book of Revelation, chapter 5, it says, Behold the Lamb that was slain. And it just makes so much sense because when we understand what was going on in the time that Jesus gave his life for us, it was during Passover. And Passover reminds us of what happened in the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, the night before the last plague, people were to come together. And they were to gather a lamb. And they were to sacrifice that lamb. They were to take the blood, and, and then they were to eat the entire lamb. And if, and if their family was too small and they couldn't eat the entire lamb, they had to get together with other families so that there would be nothing left and they would share the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts so that when the angel of death came to take away the firstborn son, the angel would pass over their homes. And as Jesus is on trial, the leaders of the church are so worried about not being clean enough to be able to eat the Passover lamb. And that couple nights before, Jesus had what we've come to know as communion with his disciples. And he says to them, eat this, this is my body. And drink this, this is my blood. Almost as if to say, eat of the lamb and let the blood be placed over the threshold of your heart. So that when the enemy comes and wants to take you away, he will know that you belong to me. Behold the Lamb of God. 
And sometimes I wonder, what did Mary really think? But God, I'm the one that carried him for nine months. And they didn't have epidurals when I gave birth to him. And God, it was difficult. And when he was sick, and when he scraped his knee, I was the one to pick him up. I was the one to nurse him back to health. God, this is my son. And I wonder where I do that in my life. You know, when God gives us something that we don't deserve, something we weren't really planning on, but then it's, we've owned it. We've seen it grow. And when things were difficult, we're the ones that made it through. And when God says, now you've, you've made it, you, you put it to where I need to go, and now this work is going to go beyond you. Do I hold on to it and not let go? Or do I let God be God? Where do I go from here? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. See, Mary did have a little lamb, and its fleece was white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went, her lamb was sure to go until God said otherwise. And then Mary learned to let go. Because it tells us that as Jesus was about to give up his life, Mary was there. And now Jesus was the one to make sure that she was taken. It says in the book of John that, that Jesus turned to, to the disciple whom he loved and said, this is your mother and this is your son. God, sometimes I have to be honest, I don't want to let go. And um, sometimes I get so caught up with things that I think are important in the way that I think that you should do it that when you don't do it my way, you're not working. And when you're not doing it the way I expect, you don't care about me. God, you don't know how to do your job. Let me do it for you. But behold, the Lamb of God has now become the shepherd. And even if he only remains a lamb, he's the Lamb of God. And I will follow. The book of Revelation gives us another picture of this Lamb overcoming. And in heaven, there is a throne room scene. See, 
God has conquered. And all of heaven rejoices. Even these four beasts that we don't, couldn't even imagine, would probably scare me worse than some Halloween costumes. And, it's, and they scream out and they yell in a loud shout, in a loud voice, saying in Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, or verse 12. Revelation chapter 5, verse 12 says, they were saying with a loud voice, there are thousands and thousands upon them. Can you imagine? Can you just hear them chanting, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. Let it be so. At the very end of the book of Revelation, after all these horrible things have happened, it talks about what the new heaven will be. And then it talks about this river. And in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 to 5, it says, Then the angel showed me a river of the water of life, bright, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Flowing from the throne of God and through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of a lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever. You see, at the end, that which flows from the throne of, the, of God and of the Lamb is for the healing of nations. It's peace. Something we could never even imagine. And sometimes it's hard to reconcile because even the birth of Jesus brought the death of many young boys. But it's almost as if every time God wants to step in, the enemy does something to take away our sight from the Lamb of God. And I just want to challenge you. Keep searching, keep seeking, keep following. Keep hoping 
keep trusting and believe that God has not given up on you. God has not forgotten you. You're too valuable. He has too much he wants to do with you. So stop holding on to the things he gave you in the past. And open your hand to what he will give you in the future. Let's bow our heads. Our God and our Father, we thank you so much for who you are, for what you do. Lord, your grace is enough. Help us to follow you. Help us to not get distracted or to think that you would ever leave us in abandonment. Forgive us, God, and teach us the way you would have us go. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Lamb that was slain and has overcome all God's people's